attend a crypto conference, you really never know who you're gonna meet. And sometimes even measuring the ROI of a conference can't really be done in dollars and cents. Because in crypto, like in any industry, your network is really indicative or resonant with your net worth. Or in crypto, your ability to understand trends, nuances, and what we would say is the alpha. The alpha being information that only a few know and eventually others will know, but somehow you got it earlier. This is why people sit on Twitter all day and follow traders, follow NFT traders, follow anyone that they perceive to be in the know. Well, at this year's consensus, I met Crypto Mommy. And on this episode, I have Crypto Mommy on to talk about regulation, where the market's going, and how she went from, as she says, zero to hero. Because three and a half years ago, she had zero crypto knowledge and zero trading experience. But now she's full-time into crypto as a trader and a consultant. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Crypto Mommy, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you and I met at Consensus, and I believe we met at the World of Women side event. Is that is that where it was? Yeah, you know, what was amazing is that this year at Consensus, there was a lot of women initiatives. And I just really appreciated that both men and women were out full and force to everything from venture capital, startup pitches to NFT galleries. It's an exciting time. Um, I know we're in a bear market, but it's an exciting time in terms of um, development and projects and and yeah, and I had the wonderful opportunity to meet you because you were there and you were hobnobbing with all the fancy folk and <laughs> and explaining explaining your nonprofit, which is incredible. I hope we get to talk a little bit about that. And yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. And I was very I was very impressed by World of Women. I went to a lot of the side events, especially in that specific, if you went to consensus, the sunset room and that one was the most well attended. That one and there was a Latino happy hour that were also just packed and they packed that space where you couldn't like kind of walk. I went to a couple others, which I actually thought were going to be more packed, but weren't as heavily populated. So clearly the more non-traditional, I, I think the more non-traditional groups of quote TradFi are definitely showing up in Web3, whatever that is. So for consensus, right? That was like Latinos. It was the Web3 Familia. And then the other one was, you know, World of Women. And that was really cool. And I did a space about three days ago, four days ago. God, time is flying. And we were doing a recap of consensus. And one of the things we had, we had, who do we have on stage? I think we had two women and three men, something like that. But one of the constant themes was that the mix between just men and women, if we're not taking into account gender fluidity here and people who you know are non-binary, but if we're just looking at men and women from what we could see, it, it felt 50-50 and it felt all the women were like, yeah, it was good to not be in a room and not be the only woman with like, I don't know, 20 other dudes, 20 other bros. So that was definitely one of the takeaways. And that's what people also said about NFT NYC. And I think that that's a good thing because the story we tell ourselves, right? This is what keeps us like happy is that this is a different space and this is doing different things. And so it's good when the story we tell ourselves kind of aligns with the reality. And just looking at consensus, what were like for you other takeaways at consensus? And was it worth it? That's what I'm always asking people. Was there the ROI? Did you make the connections? Obviously we met, which is a great, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation, but 
What was the ROI for you from Consensus? Well, you know, I think what's interesting is I kind of work within several different spaces, so it's hard to say, but just from a pure development, working with development teams, trying to match them up with projects and startups um, and looking at startup advisory, because I actually have a couple of projects, one ready to launch in about eight to 10 weeks. That's a real estate portfolio going on chain. It's called Digital Asset Foundry. Um, They're going to be huge. Uh, We're starting off with a billion dollars going on chain. So, you know, just looking at projects like that, it, it was worth it, you know, because you're there to make those connections that is going to lead you to the next thing. Because I think what happens is when you are in a corporate environment, and I, am, I have left corporate America, you are somewhat static in a way because you only have the next level that you can move up. You only have the next project. It's very static. It's very one thing to the next Versus when you are consulting or you're an independent or you are a creator or in this space in development, what happens is that all these little nooks and crannies are filled with ideas and other avenues that you can go. And it doesn't ever lead to where you expect. That's the thing. That's why you go out there. That's why you put yourself out there. It it never, you know, I go to meet a particular venture capitalist because I'm like, I know I need to talk to this person. And all of a sudden, I walk away with two or three people with NFT projects that might want representation in the United States. You know, it's just very different. And so what you have to do is you have to just keep a very open mind. But it's also what keeps it fun, fresh, the adventure. I'm a very kind of easygoing person where wherever this takes you, just go with it. But always lead yourself with like who you want to present yourself, professional, integrity, and, you know, good ideas, trying to not wreck people, you know, and the reason why I say that is because it, it's still the space. We're still crypto. We're still web three. <laughs> what do you we're, mean? What do you mean by that last comment? <laughs> well, well, we're never going to get away from the grifters. You don't think so? I don't think so. No, I don't. I, I mean, in, in, a, in a way that's almost, how do I put it? Proprietary to crypto. You know, I think it's, it's, rare and beautiful and amazing to be in a space that is starting to really take off. And I'm starting to see institutions come in like everywhere from like Google, Amazon workspace, you know, AWS, and also like Fidelity, you know, they had side events. They were totally empty, but (laughs) they still had side events. Were they? No, no offense, but yeah, because it was all people within that corporate structure. And it was just very uh, humorous because I'm there being crypto native being invited to some of those things and realizing we don't even speak the same language. And I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but the original question you asked, which is why do you think we're not going to necessarily get a, get rid of the grifters? It's because with any new emerging technology and everything is the next best thing, the next coolest thing, what you're going to have is, is people just gravitate towards that because it's the get rich quick. Now I don't need protection from Gary Gensler because I can do research. I can read. You know, so I don't need this whole regulatory scheme to protect me from the next get rich quick. Every industry has gone through get rich quick. It doesn't matter who you are, whether it was like real estate, when it was, you know, becoming people could invest in real estate, people could invest in dot com companies. You know, people forget all of those things that happened. And there were there were grifters in those spaces, too. So I I'm crypto native. I have a love for it. It's it's where I believe wholeheartedly blockchain and, and crypto, it's, it's, it's the future, you know? So when I go out to these things or events, side events, my job is to also not elevate and to 
do my own research. And if something's sus, I don't participate. I don't elevate it. I don't try to make that connection for that person because we have a responsibility as a community within this industry to make sure we're self-protected, that we protect each other and we protect ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And it's actually really ironic that you say that because this past week I was supposed to, I had a recording time set up with a project and they're going to remain nameless. I'm not trying to call them out. I just feel like they're in the trend of where we are right now. And they actually literally, in the time that we set up the call, which was about two weeks ago, up until this past midweek, they went belly up. A fundraiser of theirs, uh, you know, some money basically was taken out the back and they didn't have money ready. You know, a lot of, I was, I was reading a Twitter thread the other day that's like, the real companies now who are looking at the US banking system, they have three months payroll set aside. So that way, if something goes belly up, they're not like, oh, all of our money was an SVB. What are we going to do? No. They kick into what they need. It's kind of like how a hospital has auxiliary power in the event that the entire power grid goes down because if someone's on life support, well, they need the power. And so I thought that that was a very interesting one. And I'm the conversations I'm starting to have and with, with guests like you and just other guests, and I, I just had on a lawyer, Pablo, is like the real projects, they're businesses that happen to use Web3. They're not Web3 that just then stumble into how we run a business. And I think that we're running into that. A lot of people running into that, like, uh, you know, an unstoppable, what's it, an unstoppable force to an immovable object right now. And when that happens, it's a lot of friction. But I, I want to go back. And, and so, okay, we met World of Women. You introduced yourself using not Crypto Mommy. And we talked a little bit. And then you said, oh, by the way, I'm Crypto Mommy. Because, you know, the consensus is a really pseudonymous place. But as you told me, you know, like, what, three and a half years ago, zero knowledge to now this is your full-time job, your passion, your beyond just like a professional interest, a personal interest even, this is where you see the future and it's fun to play with. How has that been? And where did Crypto Mommy pop up in that process? Have you always been Crypto Mommy? And what's that look like? So rewind, I was um, living in Puerto Rico and you know, obviously that's a hotbed haven for crypto. I was one of the only people in Puerto Rico with no crypto knowledge. Um, we had moved our traditional marketing business there. And I have beautiful children. I actually have four beautiful children. It's wild and crazy. They're all young. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how I'm here actually in this seat right now without them banging down the door. But basically what happened is I was approached by a gentleman who was in nonprofit charity work. And he had been trying to pay employees and workers. But the problem is, is that he was part of kind of a more corrupt banking system within like a second world Latin American country. And he said every time his employees went to get paid, people would come by on motorbikes and just steal the money. Like because they had to pay in cash, you know, they had to pay for like groceries and food, you know, rent, all that. And what was interesting is he was building these sports parks to help kids stay off the street in order to prevent them from joining gangs, like these motorbike gangs and all this stuff. So it was a good cause. And, you know, I have a very strong background in the nonprofit space. So he said, he just said something really random, but was serious. And is there any way we can get people paid without using a bank? And I said, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and he said, please, you know, can you just look into it? And so of course I go down the rabbit hole and once you discover all of the tenements of crypto that you believe in, all the things in blockchain that you know are to be true, 
it, there's no turning back. It just depends who you are as a person. But for me, I was like, oh my goodness, this is bankless, permissionless. This is fractional. This is that gives the ability, the freedom to carry it on their phone. Anonymous. I mean, there were so many things that I just totally believed in and fell in love with it. Um, the technology itself, because everything that it can provide for somebody that is living in like a second world country, you know, reduction of relying on the, the local fiat, you know, so they can be able to buy things. I mean, people who held USDT and USDC during this last inflationary period in second world countries were actually ahead, you know, because they beat the rate of inflation for their fiat currency. And all they had to do was hold USDT, USDC. Now, I know whatever you think about the projects there, that's fine. But it was um, incredible. Or like this whole SVB crisis. Like I was actually at a venture capital event the day it happened. And what ended up happening, yeah, and I have the, I have the direct messages between me and one of the VCs. And later we go to dinner and he says, I say, hey, did any of your projects get affected? He's like, no, a lot of them kept their money in crypto. And a lot of them, they had exposure to SVB, but a lot of them kept it in USDC off exchange in just a cold wallet because LLCs can own a cold wallet, you know? And so because of that, they were able to actually hedge against a huge bank failure. Now, that is incredible if you think about it. And that is not what the banking system wants to hear. That is not what Gensler wants to hear. That is not what federal authorities want to hear. But that is the truth. I mean, that is the truth in actual application. And so fast forward, I had a knack for like kind of fixing these little tiny problems with crypto. But then here comes the degeneracy. <laughs> here comes the trading. Here comes the whoa, look at this volatility. It's amazing. And so I, I had never formally traded before. I actually had been, um, I had done things like invested in my own money and, you know, interesting enough, like had invested in, in Peter Schiff's gold fund, you know, don't, don't hate me. This is before I knew anything, <laughs> but you know, yeah, like honestly don't hate me because of that. It's just happened. So, you know, and so like, because of all of these things that are happening, I was like, whoa, look at this volatility. It's amazing. So I understood where there are waves, there's money to be made. And that's, that's, that's how I've always looked at things like the markets, you know, like, just like people say, always buy when there's blood in the streets, you know, it's, it's the psychology behind it. And so I loved the psychology behind it. I loved looking at levels and trying to figure out, you know, where are things going to go next? Um, I was a terrible trader in the first like six months, like everybody. I think I think anyone who goes on crypto Twitter and starts posting 500x gains when they're like it's their first two or three months trading, they're lying. Block them. Never follow them. <laughs> Do not listen to them. If they have a YouTube channel where they're jumping up and down with an open mouth, like everyone knows who these people are. Do not follow them. If they get huge referral fees from um, like huge, I'm talking huge referral fees from exchanges, like where they don't even care if they're giving bad advice. They're just collecting referral fees. Everyone in crypto Twitter, or the trading spaces know who those people are. And what I would say is don't follow them. So, so, you know, what happened is I started with a small bag. It was mostly trading Bitcoin and then started going into Ethereum. And then here comes the altcoins. <laughs> and, and once you start trading altcoins, you're, you're kind of this new, almost revelation of, 
just truth, you know, because this is revelation of truth. I just want to make sure that that's recorded. When you okay. trade altcoins, you're okay. Sorry, I just needed to say that you're a level. Okay, we continue. <laughs> yeah, not. I mean, because because here's the deal. It's like you start realizing, like, okay, now, 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 here we go. Here we go with 50x leverage. Here we start looking at things like how much am I really willing to risk? And the reason why I say you're put to the fire in a revelation of truth is trading and being a trader. It's not about exactly how much money you make. It is and it isn't, right? It is about how much money you make at the end of the day. But it is your journey on who you become through this process. It is this self-discovery and realization of everything that you want in your life and everything that is just noise. And I think the beautiful thing about everybody that I, I have been the privilege of to learn from is they have learned how to master and control the two most elusive things, money and themselves. And you won't find that anywhere else. And it's, it's just the most beautiful, pure thing in the world. And I might sound a little bit too optimistic because I know tons of people are getting wrecked every single day. But that's, you know, that's where risk comes in. I, I never told people to go out and, and put their whole bag on Luna, you know, it's like, it's, it's like one of those things where you truly learn and, and become through this entire process. What is your ego? Is your ego tied to money? What is your risk tolerance? Are you risky? Are you not? What is your ability to handle stress? The most stressful thing is watching your bags go almost to zero. You know what I mean? Like, like how, how do you handle, how do you handle defeat? Because you are going to lose way more than you win. So, you know, all those things come into play. And I think the amazing thing is people don't understand crypto Twitter and crypto traders as a community, we're, we're better than institutions. We're better than the people who go on like, I hate to say it, but, but Wall Street bets, you know, things like that. Because we grew up in a time where there were so many scams. I mean, Pretty much every single big scam, I was like awake at like either 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m. <laughs> watching, you know, the huge dumps, you know, whether it be 3AC, uh, Do Kwan, FTX, you know. And the thing I love about it is that grit and resilience where everybody is so supportive. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, you lost. I know people who lost everything in FTX. And it's like you lost everything, but you're going to make it back and more. And we're going to be there for you. And I know that may, that might be making the industry sound a little soft and all my crypto bros are going to give me a ton of crap for even saying stuff like this because they want to seem hard. But no, it's 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 not that way. Like, I'm grateful that I've been accepted into the fold from some of these incredible people who are who are some of the best in the world, in my opinion. So I'm fortunate enough to I'm a part of a few discords, but my favorite discord group is called The Haven. And they have the most amazing you know, analysts. They have the most amazing charts. These people answer your questions. Um, I would suggest, I, I don't think it's for a new person, like a very beginner, beginner person. And, and that's just my personal opinion. But if you have any uh, like trading knowledge and you're going to be in this for the long term, for me, that's where I joined. And I've exponentially increased my knowledge and also my ability to trade. So at the Haven. When I hear all this, and I love what you said, you are like, 
we're not trying to call people out, but we do, or you believe that the Haven, for example, is better than institutional players for, for lack of a better term, if that's okay. Yeah. So, so if you look at things like this, right, like it's really us versus the institutions now, right? It's really retail versus them. So, and the reason why I think we're, we're not me personally, but as a group, it's in crypto. I can't say for, I can't say for traditional equities and I do trade traditional equities. I do a lot in options. What I can say there is that there's this ability to look at charts and projects and liquidity and open interests and to be able to kind of figure out I don't want to say trade against the institutions, but what they're trying to do and, and where, where they're going. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about market makers, bear market. I mean, they're they're charging exorbitant amount of fees to be able to to um, get people's tokens on exchanges and market make. And what we're seeing is that, for example, with FTX, people's stocks were being hunted. You know, because people's stocks were being hunted, it's like it, they Alameda was a hedge fund. You know, it was it was like it was them versus us. And so that might be maybe making it a little bit too simplified. But, you know, when you're on when you're on the the exchanges and you're looking at things, what you're really for me personally, what I'm really trying to figure out is I'm trying to figure out obviously where price is going to go next and what my R&R is going to be and and looking at, you know, different tokens but I learned about things that I never had to know before and that institutions don't have to exactly know because they have algorithms. So as a, as a retail person, I had to learn about like, I had to learn about uh, order blocks and liquidity and it, it's so much more in depth than what I was thinking when I first started. And then that lends itself into crypto projects, right? Like that's, that's how I got my start within venture capital is basically because I traded I had a lot of projects ask me certain things about tokenomics because what they were seeing is they were seeing these huge swings in volatility for their tokens. And they said, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, well, obviously it's because of venture capital awards. It's because of founders getting tokens. It's because the token itself is, is going to be on launch. It's going to be highly illiquid. It's where you're launching. Is it on a DEX? Is it on exchange, centralized exchange? You know, and so because of all these little questions I was able to help and answer, I just kept getting projects referred to me. But why did I know those things? I knew those things because I had to fail a lot at trading. The failing a lot at trading is an interesting thing. And I saw a Twitter thread that I really enjoyed yesterday, and it was about Pepe coin. And it said, if you put in, right, but I mean, it said, if you put in $500 two months ago or whatever it started and you held, you would have $2 million. And it says, that sounds like a great, that's a great soundbite, 500 to 2 million. And then it was a long thread about how the 500 would have gone up to 3,000. It would have gone down to 2,000. Then it would have gone up to 10,000. Then it would have gone to three and all the way up to 2 million. And at one point it has a 60% pullback. And so I don't think it's always as easy as people think when you hear kind of, you know, we're used to this world of not understanding the process, but seeing the results and misunderstanding what it takes to get it done. And like, if you just take Instagram, for example, if you scroll through Instagram, something will pop up about weight loss, no matter how, what size you are, even if you're looking for it, because so many people, especially in the United States are trying to lose weight. The summer is coming bikini season. So what you'll see is someone who's bigger on one side, on the left side of your screen, and it will say 2019 to 2022. But in our minds, we don't see three years. We don't see almost a thousand days. 
all we do is we see nothing. We are like, oh yeah, that's easy. Therefore, it must be easy. And so I think the perception is that trading is easy and that the failures will come because that's part of it. But maybe they're not going to be like, as you said, the people that you know that have lost their entire bag to FTX. And so I want to talk about that because one of the conversations we had about outside of world of women, when we, when we, you know, we're just talking about things, you were saying, Hey, this community is really showing up for people. Cause I think that's probably what you mean by we're better than the institutional players, because it sounds like there's a community that beyond the ROI, beyond maybe the alpha, you guys are looking out for each other. So can you speak a little bit to, to what that looks like? And especially even in a pseudonymous realm, I think is really fascinating for people to hear. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the reason why I like crypto and trading in crypto better is because not that we don't trade other assets, right? I mean, you take, you take uh, options on commodities, you take options on regular equities, you do, I mean, one of the best traders that I learned from, like, for months, and not personally, but just following him and, and being devoted, but he also answered a lot of my questions, um, was Crypto Chase, you know, and he, uh, incredible level to level trader, you know, um, and I don't want to name out everybody, because I probably forget all the people who have done me, like, so much good in this journey, but what I will say is going back. So two things, one, going back to your original point of people just think it's easy and they don't see the grind. They only see like the PL, right? The profit and loss. And these people having huge gains. There is so much information out there on trading and especially within crypto that you can have a college degree in this. Like I met so many, I have met because my traditional roles, I've met people within finance they don't even understand some of the things that are available for free on, on YouTube or on Twitter. And like everyone will say, when you get started, it's like, go to uh, cred, you know, his name's cred, crypto creds information on YouTube. He has like a college course that's set out and it's literally like class number one, syllabus number two, class number three. It's, I mean, it's awesome. And you're not, you're not going to get that quality kind of instruction or ideas from even going to a university, in my opinion, you know? And so that's why it's an amazing community because a lot of people make their content for free and they're not out there to wreck people or just get paid, you know? I mean, and you can, you can do your own due diligence, look at like, where are they getting referrals? Where are they getting percentages of people's bags on exchanges? You know, cause that happens. Like if somebody signs up under your referral number on like a, on like a Bybit or like a Femex, you know, they're earning a small percentage off of your account. So, you know, you have to just balance and see like, where, where are they making that? Where are they making all their gains? You know, and for me, I am fortunate enough to even associate a little bit with people who they're making their gains by trading. They're making their gains by trading. They're not making all of their gains by trying to shill a project and get a ton of tokens on the back end and then dump them, you know, and, and that's the, that's the part there. And, and then in terms of people showing up for each other, it's like, if you really trade, everyone understands that feeling when you capitulate and almost go to zero, like that horrible, terrible pit in your stomach feeling of, damn, I just lost this whole thing. And it is like, it, I mean, you are at one of your lowest points. And, and in some ways you're like, this was my fault because I made these trades and I did it like this. 
And in some ways you're like, you know, I, I followed my setup. I followed my system. My, my thesis didn't work out. Like you, you start questioning things, but it's different with FTX. It's different with scams and rugs. And, and the reason why maybe not like an NFT, like scam or rug, because, you know, I don't invest a lot in NFTs, but when you look at something like an FTX, totally out of your control. So imagine you grind, you grind, you make your money, you put it in there. You did everything managed. I'm not going to say everything right, right? Because trading is about risk management. So you risk managed your behind off to have this certain level of success. And all of a sudden you get this like little blurb on Twitter that everything's going down. And not only is everything going down, you're not going to get your money back. It was, I mean, like the, because all of us have been there at one time with losing almost our entire bag or capitulating, that feeling is so real. It's so raw. It's very magnified. So because of that, there's so much like, Hey, you're You're going to make it back, bro. Like you're going to do it. Like it's going to be okay. And I've never seen so many people come out of the woodwork and have so much belief in each other. It was very, it was, it was, it was undertoned. Like, I think that's the problem, right? Is that traditional media kind of made it all about SBF and kind of all about the scam and, you know, all these traditional institutions losing money, but we were focused on the individual. You know, we were focused on, Hey, this dude made this money to help his family immigrate. It's gone. You know, it's, it's brutal. And, and the stories you hear and the people that you become friends with in these pseudo anonymous groups. I mean, I, I mean, what am I supposed to tell people? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can tell, but I don't fit in the traditional mommy mode. I don't, I'm not the traditional, <laughs> I'm not the traditional stay at home wife, if you will, you know? And so I think what's interesting is, is I don't have a lot of traditional friends cause they just don't get me. They don't understand me. And that's very common within the crypto space and Web3 space, but it's especially common within trading is that people just don't get you. And, and so because of that, you form these very deep, valuable relationships on discords and on Twitter. And we've never met. I don't know what they look like. Um, <laughs> their, their, their PFP is a picture of a frog. I, I mean, what am I, I? I sound like a crazy person. But it's almost like a good kind of crazy because you know the story because you're all living in a similar experience. We're all we're all out there grinding. And that's why you share this camaraderie. You know, don't get me wrong. There's like even on Discord, there's like disagreements and there's like, you know, crap talking to each other and all that stuff like that. You know, um, people calling each other out sometimes for pushing a certain narrative and thesis but it's mild. It's mild in comparison to what I've seen. So yeah, I think my hope and belief, hopefully, is that America and the U.S. government and everything that they're doing does not kill the space, both in trading and in development. Yeah, that's a perfect transition because I wanted to ask you, and that was some of the conversation that you and I had had was around essentially regulation and what you think is going to come, maybe what you know is going to come, and only speak obviously to what you feel comfortable speaking to, but for me, watching what's happening right now is kind of scary because it is obvious to me that the U.S. government has zero idea about technology, zero idea about what's probably happening in the world of technology. And 
I think we've kind of always known this. And if you've ever worked for the government, you're highly aware of this. And it was the most, I was most aware of this, I think in 2017, when 2017, 2018, when Zuckerberg was dragged in front of Congress and basically asked about how could the election have been thrown using Facebook? And they were talking about Cambridge Analytica. And I just remember a congressman asked Mark, how does Facebook make its money? And Mark literally just like kind of looks at him, looks around. This is like a seminal moment for me in my understanding of the government where they were. And he kind of leans in and he just says, we sell ads. And that was it. And they couldn't get over. They didn't understand that this whole thing, social media is just about monetizing eyeballs. And that's, that's the whole game. And so when that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, they have no idea. And now we fast forward. And now the average Congress person, we were talking about this in another live show I have called Not Crypto Bros, talking about this about a month ago. And Austin, one of the co-hosts said, you know, the average Congress age is 63. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, 63, they have, this is why, and obviously I know that TikTok comes down to potentially national security issues, but it's like, they're not on TikTok. So it's easy for them to just ban it and not see maybe some of the value. They can't get their head around ChatGPT or AI, obviously, because they're probably just not using it. They're not sitting in discords or sitting in Twitter or understanding maybe what's even happening in crypto, in crypto excuse me. Therefore, it's easy to ban. And I just assume that when I'm 63, because I'm now in my late 30s, I have no idea what 23-year-olds are doing. Some of the even language they use. I like hear them talk. I'm like, I, I know that's English. That's cool, guys. That's great. You got your own lingo. I had my own lingo at the time, too. And I just feel like there's such, a, there's such a difference now between the dreamers, the doers, and the innovators, and then the people who get to create the rules around all of those three communities. And you and myself and other people, when you look at consensus, we're in the dreamers, the doers, we're in the executors, we're in the people that are trying to figure out the future. And if we want to get into, you know, the Game of Thrones geopolitics of the world, the United States needs to continue to stay relevant technologically. But it's crazy to think that the people that are making the rules for this don't understand any of this. So for you, you can speak personally and then also speak about, you know, some of the conversations you've had with government people or whatever you can speak to. Where are you falling on this and how do you think it's going to play out? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being in this space and trying to do something in the nonprofit sector, such as Mercy Corps. You know, I, I know that's what you're doing. And I'm really grateful for that because that's a story that needs to be told in general to the public. Crypto does no service to itself by just showing people um, in Lambos and Dubai and like all the socials are what luxury mansion you're going to have. You know, the crypto has a horrible PR problem. We have a public relations problem. And the reason why I say that is because why aren't projects like Mercy Corp, like ChangeDAO, like, you know, other things, Women in Web3, like why, why aren't those things being highlighted as truly advancing um, social impact with technology? You know, I think that's where we have a huge disconnect. I mean, even me, it's like, I've never had more belief in myself or freedom than when I started in this industry. And I went from like, I don't want to say zero to hero, but I went from like zero to, wow, like I'm actually doing something valuable. I'm actually doing something that is exciting, that's in tech, that I didn't have to have a huge degree for, but I just had to prove myself, you know, and there's very few industries like that that exist because a lot of things are 
uh, degree gated. I just say degree gated, right? Because there's, you have to have a certain degree to get into it. A lot of them have, they're financially gated. You have to get into it because you have a certain amount of money. Um, and, and crypto and blockchain in itself has really leveled the playing field. Now, looking at that, it makes me sad. It makes me sad to see all of the regulations because I work with projects where brilliant, I mean, brilliant ideas, and they can't even get a look from a venture capitalist anymore. They can't even, because why? Why would somebody invest money in an area that's, that is a gray area? You know, I mean, I know, you know, I know venture capital likes to gamble. They don't like to gamble that much. They don't like to just throw money at something that they don't know what it's going to come back in terms of regulation. And what's, what's that, what that's doing is it's hurting innovation. It's really hurting the ability for these projects to grow and develop, you know, and I don't care what the SEC and Gary Gensler says about protecting investors. And the reason why I don't care about that is, okay, where was the protection during Enron? I, I'm old people. <laughs> Whoever's, whoever's listening to this doesn't even know what Enron is. Okay, go Google Enron. <laughs> you know, um, where where was Gensler when um, SBF was doing all this shady stuff? You know, where was where was Gensler when, you know, people don't realize this. Do you know Amazon has crashed like 80% before? So, you know, where was, where, where was uh, protection then for the investor? You know, so what I say is I'm like, we all have a responsibility to do our due diligence and yes, it is unfair. Like I've seen some really sad stories of people just investing their entire family's life savings in a crazy NFT project and it not working out. I mean, that I cry. I literally almost cry for those people because like I'm a woman and I'm empathetic and I'm a mom, you know. But in terms of regulation, what we're seeing is, is it's almost to the point where it's, it's, it's hunting, you know, it's looking at who can they take down that has the most influence. I'm not talking about social media influencers like Kim Kardashian. She deserved to get sued. Okay. She knows nothing about blockchain. So I don't care about that. I'm talking like certain, certain projects like NFT projects, Kraken. Kraken is like, I use Kraken personally. They're in my heart, like, because of they believe in what they're doing is the right thing to do. They believe in, in a lot of a lot of things that other exchanges aren't practicing in terms of good practices of having reserves, being totally compliant, protecting user data. You know, I'm I'm a huge, huge believer in Kraken. And, you know, the, the one thing I'll say is that it's just, I mean, how many lawsuits are they going to survive? You know, it's just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. It's it's how many, how many times can you defend against the SEC? Like if you're a founder. You only have so much money for legal. You know, it's almost like we're gonna we're gonna just litigate you till you settle because then we're taking that money. Like because I, I personally think there's a directive to collect a certain amount of money. You know, because like it, it's no it's no hidden fact that the government's actually very disappointed with the amount of tax revenue that they're getting from digital assets or crypto. You know, so because of that, I think there is a mission to go out there and it's to hurt projects and not only hurt projects, it's to somehow collect revenue under the guise of protecting investors, under the guise of protecting the general public. And, and I'm like, no, that's not true. Like, like, how did you protect me in all these other instances? You know, and, and they don't. They just cherry pick. And what I think is interesting is the gray areas allow them to do the bait and switches. 
I have I have clients that I'm representing. They have they spent almost a million dollars on a no action letter from the SEC. Less than two years ago, Gary Gensler was at the helm. And then I go to other people in regulatory and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this no action letter from the SEC? Are we able to move forward with the project? And they're pretty much like this no action letter doesn't mean anything anymore. And I'm like, yes, but same administration, same amount of, you know, like we, we checked all the boxes, like, please, please, please. And they're like, they're like, no, it's not, it's not, it's pretty much irrelevant. So all these projects who spent all this money in legal to get the no action letter, it's, it's like they, they have no recourse. What now they can't launch. So now what I'm seeing in development is total blockage of USIP addresses. So if I'm a U.S. citizen and I'm trying to get onto a certain, not only exchange, I mean, let's just take trading out of it, right? Like, even though we're being choked off from every exchange in the world right now, a U.S. citizen is, but let's, let's just take it a step further. Let's take it like a purchasing of like a DAO token or a utility token for a project you really like. Well, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing dev teams get together and be like, okay, how can we comply with the KYC AML? But not only that we're going to block all IP addresses from the United States. And what does that do? It inhibits our ability to invest in assets that are going to become fractionalized. Like I, cause where I see things going is the fractionalization of real world assets. You know, I see it as creating a lower barrier of entry for people who truly need to invest Right. So you look at Amazon's model, Jeff Bezos's model of like, I think they're like rental homes, like you can buy a fractional share in like rental homes that he's putting out. I forgot the exact like the exact name of it. But but if you look at something like that, we can do that with blockchain. We can do that on chain. We can do that with all, fractionalizing artwork on on chain. You know, like it's going to be very sad that we are going to be blocked from a low barrier of entry for investment in vehicles when the people who need access to investing are people who are on the lower end of the spectrum. Because the way it works in the United States, if I wanna invest in something, I actually have to be an accredited investor. So the accredited investing rules is a barrier for lower socioeconomic people to actually invest. I am passionate about it because it is so incredibly unfair. I mean, I have to show multiple years of six-figure income. I have to show a huge bank account. I have to be able to prove to the government on my taxes that, you know, I reported all of this income for so many years. I mean, multiple six figures, right? What average person has that? But you know what? This stay-at-home mom, I have a thousand bucks. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy some, some tokens that I believe in you know, right? So I need access to exchanges. I need access for on-ramp. I need access for off-ramp. I mean, the choking off of off-ramping, it's like, I, I have to figure out where I'm going to get my, my dollars. You know what I mean? Like, because I can't off-ramp because Kraken was cut off by the U.S. government. So I'm going to take that thousand dollars. I'm going to, I'm going to buy some things like that. I'm going to watch it go up, but also what I'm also going to do, I'm actually going to educate myself and look at these projects that I can have a fractional of I can have a fractional of an apartment building. I can have a fractional of a piece of huge artwork. I can have a fractional of, you know, a company. And why wouldn't I want to? Can I afford? So, so this is my challenge to the government and the powers that be. And I get really upset about this. If fractionalization of assets is such a bad thing and we're exposed in a way where we're at risk, 
then why do you allow Robinhood to allow us or Schwab, Charles Schwab, to allow us to invest in fractional shares of highly volatile and liquid companies? So I can go on and I can buy a fractional share of Tesla. By volume, it is the most liquid slash volatile individual equity traded in the highest amount on, on you know, options. And I'm allowed to do that in, in a Charles Schwab's account. I'm allowed to do that in a Robinhood. Oh, but I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to do anything in crypto when there's a real world asset tied to it. Like, cause that's where I think, I, I honestly think that's where crypto is going. That's kind of where the use cases are going. And so because of that, it's just the hypocrisy is almost too much. And I have to be careful because I do have normie friends. I do have people in regulation that I'm friends with. But I mean, if you just look at it level to level, there's an incredible amount of hypocrisy out there. I don't know if I'll be hired by a traditional firm now because <laughs> of this podcast. But that's, but I'm not, you know, but here's the thing is I'm not worried about that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about what's in truth, you know, in this industry. And I, and I, we're going to have a lot of decisions to make. You have dual citizenship, right? Okay. So explain, so this is educational for me. Explain to me how amazing having a dual citizenship is and why people who have heritage in other countries should seek it out as second passport based on the crypto narrative, I guess. Yeah. That's a phenomenal question. I'm actually, I'll be going back down to Colombia in two to three weeks. And one of my biggest things when I'm there this time is to really get my bank account set up so I can get crypto stuff set up so I can have an on-ramp and an off-ramp in a country that just hasn't gotten the regulation uh, together. And it's also a country, like you said earlier on in the podcast, that people are benefiting from holding USDC. The Colombian peso has gone down about 30% over the last 16 months. So if you held that, good on you. The same thing like with people in Argentina. If you had just had USDC two years ago and you held it, well, you have twice the amount of purchasing power as everyone else around you because of 100% currency devaluation. So it's something that, you know, because they are a currency, when I say they, because Colombians are tied inherently to the US dollar because the peso is pegged to the US dollar, it's a lot easier for them to see their currency devaluation in real time as opposed to people in the US that are seeing it, but it's a slower drip. They're like, oh, well, $20 10 years ago used to get me this much at the grocery store. $20 now gets me half of that. It's a lot slower. And you could use the analogy of the frog in the boiling water. But I just think other countries are more highly aware of currency devaluation, of inflation, and they always have been because they've been pegged to the US dollar. And I remember sitting in a room, this was in February of 2020, 20, sorry, February of 2022, talking with some Colombians and just saying, look, by 2024, the peso will go to this amount. And it actually happened in the beginning of 2023. It happened 12 months before I thought, just because of the printing. You know, when we print money, we don't really feel those ripple effects for it's like 12 to 16 months. And then all of a sudden the, the bad effects will happen, right? So for me as a dual citizen, it is a total privilege to have that on and off ramp availability. I need to go get my bank account set up and I'm really excited to do that so I can have I can get to Binance.com. I can't get to Binance.com with my U.S. passport, right? With my U.S., I know, with my social security, I see your face. Because in 2017, when I got into crypto, I could get to Binance.com. There are so many juicier, cooler projects that get to Binance.com. By the time they get to Binance.us, you feel like you missed out on what we would say, as you laid out here, as being an accredited investor. I've missed out on 10 to 20x already. And 
I think it just totally comes down to the U.S. government, and I don't think they're bad for wanting this. I just want them to be careful how they go about this. They just want to make sure that if people are having uh, gains and they're U.S. citizens, then they want to have their peace. They want to get their tax. Now, how they get to that, I think they have to be careful because Coinbase has got a new headquarters offshore, apparently. Gemini is doing the same thing. The Winklevier just have been trying to play nice in the sandbox with the U.S. government for 10 years now about this. And the U.S. government is the U.S. government. They're, they're slow. They're bureaucratic. You know, administrations change. Ideas change. FTX and Doquan don't help out these narratives. And so another thing you mentioned is the work I'm doing at Mercy Corps. Mercy Corps is a massive uh, global INGO, an international non-governmental organization. We're in 40 plus countries. And for me, I know that, you know, the stats are out there that 20% of billionaires by the year 2030 will be crypto, crypto billionaires. So we have to find a way in the nonprofit sector to be able to understand the conversations that are happening on Twitter, understand the conversations that are happening on Discord, understand what goes on at consensus, understand what's happening in this digital financial world that's also global because we are a global organization. So if we're not understanding kind of the future of what that looks like, we're going to be left behind. And the other thing is in the regions we work in, if we look at Africa and Latin America and Asia, if we just focus on those three regions, on the ground and in every country, crypto is happening. People are talking about crypto. A lot of this ties back to the comments I just made about Colombia, where people are realizing, wow, our currency is being devalued. Whether they're close to the yuan in China or whether they're close to the dollar on this side of the world, those two currencies are the, not to say the hardest currencies, because that would be the long, wrong thing to say, but those are the ones that people are trying to get to now. So everything else around them is basically going to be affected. And I always tell people all the time, people are like, oh, why do people migrate to the United States? I say, well, obviously it's opportunity. But if you look at the history of human migration, we're all just going towards what we perceive to be the best and most stable currency. In the Americas, it's the US dollar. Africans go to Europe. Southeast Asia, they look for other opportunities. So that's kind of where we are. And so it's a very interesting time to think about regulation. And it's also a time, and this is where I, one of the last things I was really interested to ask you as someone who's a trader who probably has, you know, global community, we've talked about regulation. What is your thought on the overall status of the U.S. dollar as being top dog in the world? Oh man, you know, the good news. So, so I want to, I want to maybe backtrack a little bit and, and here's, here's the reason why and backtrack a little bit to re- when you were talking about regulation. So this is how bad it's getting. Like, I think I glossed over that, but I don't want to gloss over it for the sake of your audience. And the reason why I'm saying that is there was just an article that was published about the SEC having the highest amount of record whistleblowing payouts. I don't know if you saw it, like somebody on the Haven actually posted it and I looked at it and, and look it up, but they just, they publicly came out and said that the, they're very pleased. They're very happy with the highest amount of whistleblowing payouts that they've ever had. And the reason being is they're getting people to, to snitch on each other. Like, cause the, these, these whistleblower payouts, I have, I'm not going to say how I know hundred percent, but I do know how some of them are constructed. And so because of how some of them are constructed, it's a huge windfall for people. Or if you just look at regulation, I mean, it's the squeeze. It's like, hey, I caught you using this in your wallet. And because of that, now you're in trouble. I caught you using tornado cash. You know, that's a blocked thing for the United States. I caught you using, and that's the whole another story about the VPNs that we can talk about. But but it's like, I caught you using these things. 
And uh, either you go to jail for a year or you give us people who have actually committed wrongdoing and that you know for a fact. But if you do do that, we will give you a portion of that seizure. So I didn't know if you knew that, but whistle, yes, whistleblower deals get up in, in financial whistleblower deals, even outside of crypto. Let's say you're a real estate fraud person, or if you're like, you know, just selling fake land, or if you're um, somebody that is insider trading at a big firm, you know, something like that, you get a percentage of the bag that the um, government actually is able to collect from those deals. Like, I, I can see you shaking your head. That's the truth. It's the truth. And That's now, wild because the story is, you know, snitches get stitches, not snitches get paid, right? Snitches get paid in, 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 the, in the recent history. And so because of that, all I have to say to the crypto community is please be careful. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with people, but don't go out there and post all over the place how you're using a VPN to get around regulation. Don't do that. Like I've seen it. I love, yeah, I, I love all my all my bro friends on, on these channels and discords, but it's like, please don't do that. Like not, and I don't know who they are because we're all pseudo anonymous, but the key being is that you're exposing yourself now. Like, like everything we do moving forward, there's a slight amount of exposure. And so we have to, we have to be careful and realize what, what's going to happen is it's because the government isn't quite smart enough to like, go through all the metrics and track down every single transaction wallet. And I'm not trying to say they're not smart because like, dear Lord, please don't let me get audited, <laughs> but they're not, they're not, they're not crypto native. They're not blockchain native. You know, they're hiring those people right now. They're hiring those people to do investigations. And I know that for a fact, because I know some of the contracted companies that are being hired to do that work, you know, so they're hiring those people, but but what I'll say is that it's to that level, it's becoming to that level, one, two, you're going to see huge changes within definitions, broad stroke definitions. I mean, I'm talking, it's, I was at a meeting, it was floated out there that NFT platforms might be considered brokerages. It was floated out there that DAOs with just utility tokens could be considered a brokerage. It was floated that DEXs for sure need to KYC and block American citizens. Like all these things, I mean, the same meeting. I mean, I was like, I can't believe I'm listening to all this, but it was like, that is what was discussed in a very plain matter of fact fashion. And everyone there was a normie except for me. That's the, that's the problem though, right? Is that I'm the, I'm the, I'm the crypto person. I'm the crypto mommy. Everyone else is normie and they think they they think this is fine. They, they have no vested interest, whether it goes one way or the other. They're just there to listen, you know, and but they're but they're not they're not part of the ecosystem. They're not building. They're not devs. They're not trying to use the technology for the greater good. So it, it's very it's a very scary time. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but I just do not see it getting necessarily better for U.S. citizens. That's why. I love the fact that you were talking about Colombia. I encourage everybody who has the ability to get a second passport. You can get a second passport if you have heritage in Italy, Ireland. Go back in your genealogy, please. Like, I don't have that opportunity, but other people do. Like, if that's the one thing that somebody listening to this podcast does is look in your background and get your second passport ready. 
you know, because it's, it's that we're being choked off. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And I, I tell people all the time, my greatest privilege is just that I have two passports because you can't, there's not like, that's, that's a, not even a proof of work. It's just like a proof of happenstance, you know, and you can't, you can buy passports now and, but they're really expensive. So there's other ways to get passports. I've looked at like getting a Portuguese passport as well. Cause then I have EU, South America and the U S and there's a whole thing about that. But one of the things I, I want to leave on here is that this episode will come out on Monday the 8th. And I think by Friday the 19th, if not Monday, May the 22nd, we're going to have an understanding from the SEC who's been told that they have to respond to Coinbase. So we're going to get some definitions and we're going to understand what's a security, what isn't, what's a commodity, what isn't. And that will shift things greatly. And when that happens, everyone who talks about being adaptable and flexible is going to actually have to show up and put up or shut up because the markets could go absolutely insane as institutions walk away from it, retail freaks out. There just could be crazy movements on those days. And I've said, I said this the other day on the live with Not Crypto Bros, but I think over the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain, especially for US citizens for the next six to 12 months. After that, once we have the regulatory clarity and everyone is kind of now on board with what the rules are, then I think long term, it's going to be great for the space. But as you said earlier, too, where there's waves, there's opportunity. You know, where there's chaos, there's opportunity. And where there's opportunity, there's chaos. That's just how this works. So if you're here for the disruption, you have to kind of strap in for everything else because it's going to get bumpy. But I want to give you the time to shout out where people can find you. I'm assuming just on Twitter, excuse me, on Twitter at Crypto Mommy. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. So um, my handle is uh, at Crypto Mom Life. And I'm, I'm Crypto Mommy, but also, you know, I'm going to be starting a website, CryptoMommy.com, more for like fun. And because under advisory, like I've gotten so many requests for people just that they can have a site to go to so they can look at like, hey, we need help with tokenomics. Hey, we need this advice on pre-launch sale, you know, just a lot of different things that I'm surprised that people come to me for, but it's, it's working out. So that's kind of going to be the story there and um, at Crypto Mom Life and at CryptoMommy.com with an I. So C-R-Y-P-T-O-M-O-M-M-I. That's how I'm, it, it's spelled. So, you know, I just thank you so much for this time. I think we, we talked about a lot, but I'm very happy that people like you are in the space because if we survive this, it's going to be a beautiful thing. We are totally in survive to thrive mode, but we just need to survive <laughs> to then thrive. And that will happen, I think, in the next 12, 12 to 18 months. That's what I tell myself. So thank you, Crypto Mommy, for hopping on. And um, I look forward to continue to you know, chat more about trading. Yeah, awesome. Take care. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of More Than Blockchain. And if you'd like to get in touch and learn more about what Crypto Mommy is doing, go ahead and check out the show notes. I'm going to leave a lot of links there to all the things that we covered today, including some of the alpha groups she's talked about, some of the YouTube channels she's referenced, and her own website, CryptoMommy.com. As always, go ahead and find us and follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share it with a friend, family member, or colleague. And no matter where you're listening to the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Thanks again for checking out this episode of More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.